The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Hey, hey, welcome. Another edition of the Disability Law Show is here. Good to have you along. You have some time to listen in and learn and reach out anytime as well. Tamar Gopian Partners and Firu Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed disability and, well, just general law firm in the country. How about that? Reach out to Tamar anytime. She's always standing by. She's got a great team behind her as well. one 855 821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. And there's also the option of uh, learning lots very quickly and simply through ltdfaq.ca. Okay, tomorrow a lot of, lot of emails coming in. we got so much ground to cover over the next uh, 48, 49 minutes or so. So uh, what do you got to, to start us off, Val? Uh, absolutely, John. I want to start off just reiterating some of what you actually said in your opening salvo because mm-hmm. a lot of the focus at our firm is to get out as much information out there to individuals who are dealing with disability uh, insurance companies as much as we can, John. And, and we've got a bunch of different ways that we do that. Obviously, our shows, number one. Uh, but number two, there's lots of information on our website and we've got different websites. And I want to focus on uh, one element in particular, and that's one that you mentioned right off the top of the show, mm-hmm. the ltdfaq.ca. So long-term disability, frequently asked questions. And I can't tell you what an amazing resource this is, not only for members of our team, but also for people who are contacting us. It, it gives us a really good opportunity to provide just some quick information uh, for for people who are looking for really common topics like how to deal with a difficult adjuster or what do I need in a medical report, for example, you know, this kind of thing. And we just put in one very recently on policy words and definitions of commonly used terms in disability. And like most other settings, uh, you know, insurance companies love to use acronyms, John, IME, RTW, APS, CPPD. We use these, <laughs> these acronyms all the time. And people are like, what, what is this? Along with fairly common things like what's a claims adjuster or a claims manager, or disability claims manager, this kind of thing. And so I thought it was really important to start off the show because, you know, most people have never dealt with disability before. Uh, and most people have never dealt with an insurance company before. And frankly, many, many people don't even look at their booklets and policy wordings to even understand what's in there and what does it say. So when you get a letter or some communication from the insurance company, you're sort of scratching your head, what is this all about? And I thought that this addition to the many other uh, uh, you know, FAQs that we've got on our website was really, really helpful. And for an issue in particular that I that is near and dear to my heart, which is the definition of total disability, John, that one really is just the million dollar one, uh, because you know most yeah. people look at this and they say, okay, total disability, total, complete. I must be laying in bed and not able to do absolutely anything at all. Uh, but that's not actually what it means. And so, yes, you know, disability law and disability insurance, it's contractual. There is a policy there. There are words there that are drawn up by the insurance company and they negotiate typically in these group plans with your employer and they come up with this is the parameters where we would actually pay a disability claim. And in that, of course, are a bunch of different terms. One of them is, you know, what is the test or the definition for total disability? And if you meet that test, 
then you qualify for LTD benefits. Well, most doctors don't even understand what that necessarily means, but it's actually more simple than that, John. It's basically if you are not able to work and do the essential duties of your job, you know, in the in the first two years, then as a result of your health, then you should be qualified for long-term disability benefits. And yet there seems to be a lot of complexity around whether or not someone actually meets this test. It's not that complex. And I think insurance companies do this with intention to dissuade people to actually challenge them if they say you don't meet the test, right? And so, you know, what you would need to do is go speak to your doctor and get some forms completed and this sort of thing. But most people don't understand how do I navigate this? So again, ltdfaq.ca has a lot of helpful information. If you're feeling a little bit bashful about even, you know, contacting us and talking to us, but please don't hesitate. You can absolutely talk to us for free at any stage of your claim, by the way, if you're getting your benefits and you're not sure about something that you've recently talked to your adjuster about, don't hesitate whatsoever. But if you're, you're concerned about, look, you know, maybe I don't want to spend my time talking to a lawyer, but I want to kind of use what's out there from an internet resources perspective, very, very helpful website for individuals to look at and unpack some of the main terms that we get, you know, we throw around really as, as lawyers in disability world and insurance companies on their end. Yeah, you're, 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 you're well advised to go to ltdfaq.ca, as Tamar says. Just avoid Google Law School. Nothing good ever comes to doing that because it's like we said before, half the stuff he gets going to be, and more than half is from the states, completely different kettle of fish, man. So don't go down that road. ltdfaq.ca, or just make that phone call. Yeah, no one's going to bite. It's one eight five five eight two one. Uh, 5,900 email. First one of the show comes from our good pal Mohan says, uh, Hey, tomorrow I was having a really difficult time dealing with some work issues. And then my wife was in a bad car accident. My anxiety became too hard to control. And my doctor suggested I take some time off. I was getting LTD benefits for a while and even started seeing a psychotherapist at the insurance company he set me up with. He was helping me with my mental health and encouraging me to engage in outdoor activities like hikes and golf. But the insurance company eventually used that against me to cut off my claim. They even said that the psychotherapist recommended I go back to my job, which wasn't what he told me since the therapist knew it was the source of a lot of my anxiety to begin with. I feel betrayed and I'm still not well enough to work. Is there anything I can do? Wow. Yes, there is something you can do. You can start a legal claim against the insurance company. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Look, the, the difficulty that I see here is that Mohan was uh, accessing treatment through a, a service provider that the insurance company proposed, okay? And, and look, I'm not suggesting that you should never use the insurance company's treatment provider because I do think that insurance companies have great resources to access in terms of treatment. That's true. But you've got to go into it knowing that the allegiances of this treatment pro- provider and start and end with the insurance company because the insurance company is paying for this treatment. They're paying for this provider. And so there will be some inherent biases there in terms of what type of treatment they provide you and how they characterize your progress and improvement. Because I have seen this before, John. Clients will say to me, look, the the therapist was fantastic and I was Mm -hmm. doing great and I was so open with this therapist about what was going on and I felt they totally understood my situation. And then all of a sudden I find out that they've provided a report or an update to the insurance company that I can work, which is completely different than what they said to me, by the way. 
And then the insurance company, to add insult to injury, John, goes off and uses this report or information to cut off your claim, right? So I can absolutely sympathize with Mohan's situation. Not ideal, not ideal. And so you're better off dealing with your own service providers, getting someone who is truly referred by your own doctor or someone referred uh, or someone you've accessed yourself that has that arm's length from the insurance company so that you're, you know that this practitioner is really only focused on your best interest and making sure that not only you're on the right path of recovery, but also providing unbiased updates to the insurance company when it's needed about whether or not you're actually capable of working. So look, in the short term for Mohan, I think he does need to tap into his own treatment uh, providers. I'm hoping there's a doctor involved in his care, along with whoever else has been focusing on his mental health conditions, and who can comment on the fact, frankly, that despite treatment, and although there might be some progress, and even though he was encouraged to go out and do these different activities, that he's still not well enough to work. I think it will be important, though, for Mohan to understand, is he still within the own occupation period of the policy? Or the any occupation period of the policy. Why does that matter? You, 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 may, you may ask me, John, and, and it is this, because if the anxiety and the mental health conditions are triggered by the workplace and the insurance company has already accepted that Mohan is totally disabled from his own occupation, which usually is the first two years of benefits, then the lens changes, the test changes, and it becomes, is there anything else Mohan can do, anything in the world for which he's got some education and training and experience that would potentially accommodate his mental health conditions and still allow him to go out and get a commensurate wage, a wage that would essentially put him whole um, in line with what he's potentially getting from his long-term disability benefits. And so I can see in a situation like that, rightly or wrongly, and I would suggest wrongly, that this level of activity that he's doing is being used as a basis, John, to impute function, to suggest that Mohan is functional enough to do something else. So maybe the insurance company is saying, look, we accept you're not going back to that job because the job was tied to the mental health condition, fine, but we've paid you for those two years or we're going to. Now the test becomes, is there anything else you can do? And so we accept you're not, go you're not going back to that original job, but you know, what say you about being able to work right. in another setting? And this is where we see a lot of disability claims being cut off, John, because they know what I know, which is once they've accepted that you're totally disabled from any occupation, even for a fairly distinct period of time, it can be really, really difficult for the insurance company then to justify in front of a judge or a court that they are, were in the right by cutting you off. And I think it becomes that much more difficult when you're dealing with something you know, not cut and dry like mental health conditions that can go into patterns of cycles of up and down that can have levels of activity as you see Mohan described to us, just because you're going out and trying to engage with the world doesn't necessarily mean that you're functional enough to work, right? Yeah. Those two things don't necessarily go together. And I have lots of clients who say to me, you know, my therapist has absolutely recommended that I need to do these things either go for a walk or bike ride or maybe even go out to dinner with my partner because I need to re-engage with the world and use that as a means of recovery, as my platform to try and get better. But it doesn't mean that tomorrow I'm going back to, you know, my regular job and that sort of thing. So I think in the context of that, Mohan's situation, you know, is not surprising in terms of the approach the insurance company is going to take. What I would much prefer him doing is to empower himself by driving the bus now going forward. 
access treatment from individuals that are really in his corner and really do put the insurance company's feet to the fire by bringing forward that legal claim and asserting your rights if you're still getting the support from your team that you're not capable of working. Lots more of questions and emails on the way as we slide into a really quick break, but uh, but stick around for it. You can send yours along as well, help at disabilityrights.ca. You also have the option of mydisabilityquestions.com as well, free and anonymous. We, uh, we like to read those on air as well. And then one 821 5900 to reach Tamar and the team behind her anytime at all. We'll continue. Short break coming up now, though, and we'll return with more disability law show. Stand by. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. And welcoming you back. Thanks for hanging out. The Disability Law Show. Tamar Gopian is here, as always, on this uh, this hour-long show, here to answer all of your questions, give you some insight, and quite possibly some relief if something's been bugging you as far as a uh, personal matters concerned, dealing with a long-term disability insurer, been asked to appeal, been asked to go for an assessment. They're just uh, you know bothering you nonstop in the phone, and you're thinking, man, where do I turn? Well, you can make a phone call. Uh, well, listen to the show, of course, every week, but uh, make that phone call, one 821 5900 to Tamar and her team. Always willing just to have a chat with you. Help at disabilityrights.ca as well, and another place, a forum for you to answer, or at least ask your questions anonymously anytime called mydisabilityquestions.com. The beauty of that is uh, it's searchable, so your questions, one similar to it, may have been asked previously, and you can search for that, save some time, read the answer if it's uh, if that's enough. Walk away. Shut down your browser. Nobody is the wiser. If not, leave your question there, and it will get answered to uh, quickly. Again, mydisabilityquestions.com. Um, I just mentioned assessment in my uh, when I came back there. Tomorrow, how, how does someone prepare for that in-person assessment when it's set up by the insurance company? It could be nerve-wracking, right? Absolutely. And so the primary advice I would give, John, is really find out what what is the assessment. So is it going to be for purposes of treatment or is it going to be for purposes of providing an opinion to the insurance company about how you're doing and whether or not you can work or perhaps some combination of the two? Because there are a couple of different types of assessments that insurance companies will do. And as I said, one of them is to set up a rehab plan. So it could be, you know, let's say it's a physical disability. It could be at one of their facilities to mm-hmm. test your limits and to get a baseline of where you're at, given your physical limitations and disabilities, and to set up a treatment plan to essentially right. get you back to work. That's really the focus because, you know, once they get you back to work, John, they're not paying you the disability benefit, right? So they're investing time and money to assess you in order to get you down that path. So that's one type of assessment. The other type of assessment is what's called an independent medical examination or independent medical assessment. We talk about this periodically on the show. It's an expert, essentially. It's a hired gun by the insurance company who is going to meet with you and uh, review your whole health history, assess your current conditions, perhaps administer some testing if it's, for example, a mental health condition or a cognitive issue. And they will then pump out a a report, fairly detailed one, with uh, answers to fairly specific questions the insurance company has directed to them. So if it's an IME, an independent medical examination, John, there are a number of things that you can do to prepare. Uh, First and foremost, you want to know when it's going to be, obviously, who the professional is going to be, 
and how long it's going to take. Because if it's a location that's actually far from you, then there are some obligations by the insurance company to actually facilitate transportation, for example. Um, if it's somewhere where, you know, you're going to be in an enclosed space, you want to know, for example, COVID protocols and this kind of thing, uh, because there's still those issues still at play. So if it's going to be an in-person assessment, you kind of want to deal with those technical things. But on a broader level, most especially, you want to make sure that your own doctor is aware that you're going to undergo this type of assessment. Because inevitably, if there's going to be an independent assessment report generated out of that, then you want to get a copy of that report or yeah. make sure that the report is being sent to your own doctor so that you can see it, see what it says. And if it's not favorable, and most of them are not, most of them will say you're fine and you go back, go back sure. to work, yep. then, yeah, then you can get your own doctor to rebut it or respond to it. And, you know, so many times I've read these reports, John, and there's inaccuracies in them. You know, they haven't relayed the person's name correctly or history or something has been missed, for example, from a disability you know, perspective or a health perspective. Well, when there are errors like that, you want to see what that, you know, those mistakes are and provide your own account as a claimant to the adjuster and say, look, your doctor made the wrong assumptions here. This is not either what I said or this is not what happened. And so you want to be prepared with that whole scenario and really give yourself time and space to attend. Uh, you don't want to, for example, take increasing medicine. I've had this happen before. People take extra pain medication, John, to undergo these functional assessments. So they say, okay, I know I won't be able to do it. So I'm going to take extra pain medication and go and suffer through it. Don't, don't do that. Because if your tolerance levels are higher in a physical assessment than what they truly are, because you took right. extra medication, Smart. then that's not good. Right. It's not going to be representative of what your level is to be able to work, for example. So you want a very neutral assessment to it. I'm not saying don't be forthright, be forthright, of course, but give them the nitty gritty, get into the details with these assessors about what you're suffering every day or every second day. And don't be shy about documenting afterwards what you experienced. So I had a client who said to me, you know, I had to attend a two day uh, physical functional assessment. So on the first day it was a series of tests. And then the second day was another series of tests. And then she said to me, Tomorrow I was laid up in bed for three days after those two days, okay? <laughs> and she never made the insurance company aware, never made the adjuster aware. Nobody was aware of the fact that it was so aggressively done and the results were so skewed because it laid her up for so long afterwards that it wasn't a fair assessment. So look, we were able to extricate that in the context of a legal claim, but let's not get it have to go that far. If you're sort of going into this with the insurance company and you're a little bit concerned, how do I protect myself? Well, look, you give a fair effort. Um, you know, don't shortchange yourself, but also don't put yourself into a situation where you think that your capacity is going to be greater because you've taken excessive, you know, pain medication, for example, as a simple example. So those are a few tips, you know, like we said at the top of the show, there is an actual FAQ on this, on IMEs and, you know, how they work and what to expect. So please don't hesitate to avail yourself of that. And then, you know, give yourself a fighting chance by documenting things on your end about how you felt and what was asked of you and what, you know, what your limits were so that there's some context to the outcome, because the outcome will be a report. And most of these reports will say you're not you know, you're fine, you're able to work, you're not disabled, yeah. uh, and you're good to go. And the insurance company, no doubt, will be relying upon it to cut off your claim. 
So go into it with your eyes wide open, please, and be prepared. And with that, we'll get down to Lenore. Lenore's email says, uh, I've submitted an LTD claim and just found out because of my employment date that I'm subject to a pre-existing condition clause and insurance wants to access all of my medical records. Do I have to provide them? I'm concerned they will find a reason to deny my claim. Thanks for the email, Lenore. This is the time where I talk about pre-existing condition clauses. And, you know, um, it's one that's somewhat technical. So... The short answer, Lenore, is that you do want to provide medical information because if there's nothing there that they can find to hang their hat uh, to decline the claim, then by all means, that information should be made available to the insurance company. Actually, I sort of digress here, John, but usually when you apply for disability benefits, the initial forms that you complete will actually have an authorization in there that says, I consent for the insurance company to access this medical information on my behalf directly from my medical team. So just be aware if you're applying for disability benefits and you're completing this, these forms, there's a lot of fine print. I don't expect people to read the fine print, John, but it does include an element in there that says it allows the insurance company to access these kinds of records. So look, there should be some free information because you want the insurance company to have everything they need to make their assessment on your claim. I think where it becomes a little nerve wracking for an individual like Lenore is, well, why do they need so much of my medical information that predated the actual issue as to why I'm applying? Here's why, Lenore. The pre-existing condition clause is a means for insurance companies to eliminate claimants who may just have come on their policies in that first year of coverage that had health issues for which, you know, they didn't potentially pre you know, rate premiums and this kind of thing. It's a technical clause, but it, it's one that typically says if you're unwell and disabled in that first year of work and coverage with our policy, we will look at a certain period of time before your coverage and assess whether or not your current disability is related to something that you had beforehand or something that you had treatment for beforehand. And if you're in that bucket, then unfortunately, we're going to activate this clause and use it to decline claim, right? We're going to say, look, the pre-existing condition clause applies, and this is why you're not, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to pay the disability benefit. The thing is, though, John, this pre-existing condition clause was conceived by the insurance companies really to prevent people from, you know, policy shopping. So just trying, you know, knowing that they're sick. You know, very extreme example. Let's say you get diagnosed with cancer. You're not working. Gosh, I'm going to go and get some, you know, run-of-the-mill job. And then within a few months, I can access the disability plan and therefore be able to, you know, get benefits, including right. extended health care. So this was happening some decades ago. And so the insurance companies all came together and said, oh, you know what? We're going to have a sort of a pre-existing condition clause, this, this way of eliminating this kind of shopping for insurance type situation. But it's such a rarity, John. It doesn't really exist much anymore. People know better than to do this kind of thing. But you know, insurance companies in the cynical way that they approach these things have created these policies to allow them to weed out otherwise valid claims. And so we see pre-existing condition clauses now being used in a totally different way. It's part of every policy. Most policies have different ways of, of um, describing or defining what their clause actually says. But the core of the issue is, is that if you have a health issue that predated your current disability claim, then they're going to take a hard look at that. They're going to look at all of your health information and assess whether or not they can actually decline the claim on a technical basis. And the tough part is, is that if they're right, they're right. 
So the courts have said there's no gray on this one. Uh, it's sort of a, you know, either uh, the insurance company can activate the clause or they cannot activate the clause. So look, if you're concerned about it, Lenore, um, you know, first and foremost, I think you should share your medical information. I wouldn't be concerned about that because frankly, if you don't cooperate, they're probably going to find another reason to decline the claim anyway and say, look, it's non-compliance or we didn't have mm-hmm. enough info. So we're just going to not even consider their claim. So that's the one issue. And then the other issue is, is that you really do want to see what your policy says about the pre-existing condition clause. And if you're not sure, you know, just come to us. We'll have a quick yep. chat about it. I could take a look at it and give you a sense of where, where you fall. And we can get into the weeds around what is the pre-existing health issue that's of concern. If it's a non-issue, it's a non-issue. It's just you just need to get through the process with the adjuster so that they can check off their box and say they did their pre-existing condition review. And then once they're past that, then they can actually assess your full disability claim. So the sooner you get the medical information over, the sooner you're getting through that process. And the hope and expectation is is that they will approve the disability if it's not related to a condition you had beforehand. Lenore, we hope that helped. It was a uh, lengthy explanation. And just to start, if you want to carry on with a phone call for even more clarity, if you need it, for sure. And uh, always reach out to tomorrow and your team. No problem. one 821 5900 We'll continue. We've got some more time left. Back into some more meals, uh, emails and questions here on the Disability Law Show. That's coming up. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Yeah, Disability Law Show, back at it. Good to have you along for the hour. Reaching out tomorrow is who you want to reach out to anytime. Always willing to have a chat. one 821 5900 help at disability rights or pardon me disability rights.ca is the email address and memos about ltd simple to use really really quick and easy ltd faq.ca as well common pitfalls let's talk about these are there common pitfalls tomorrow uh, claimants make when dealing with the insurance adjuster because uh, it could be nerve-wracking again can you help them avoid these Yes, John, I can't help them avoid them because, I, you know, I have worked for insurance companies many uh, years yes. ago and, uh, you know, I know the ins and outs. I know where they're coming from. You know, the, the biggest pitfall, I think, is this idea that, you know, uh, they're in your corner. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. I know it's sort of, uh, you know, I'm a bit biased when I say this sort of thing, but it's true. I think that a lot of adjusters are good at lulling you into believing that they're on your side. And at the end of the day, they have a job to do. Okay, so go into it knowing that they have a job to do. And their job is to assess your claim and try and cut it off and end it as soon as they possibly can. That's their profit model. That's what they're doing. And that's the goal. So they have a number of tools at their disposal that adjusters will use. And so if you're aware of how to navigate that, then you can avoid some common pitfalls. One, for example, is, you know, being very casual in your language. We talk about this on occasion, John's, the the question of like, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm great. How are you? Good. Well, guess what? That gets written in. Oh, this individual said they were great. So they must not be depressed today and are able to work, right? Like those connections, those leaps in those connections are made very easily by the adjuster and unfairly so because they are coming at it from a very different perspective than what you're coming at it at, which is, oh, I want to be cordial. I want to be friendly. I want to seem pleasant. Um, Yes, all of that is true. 
Uh, but don't shy away from explaining, yeah, I'm fine. But by the way, uh, you know, yesterday I couldn't get out of bed. Today I didn't shower. Tonight I'm going to see my psychotherapist. You know, this kind of thing. Like yeah. really do provide that information about the path that you're on in a very uh, plain and open way. Because the more information that you withhold, the easier it is for the insurance company to make assumptions that are most favorable to the insurance company, which is that you're fine and you're capable of working. So that's the biggest pitfall. The second, close second to that is not getting enough medical information to the insurance company. When you start this process, you will have to take your forms. You're, you complete a form as a claimant, and then you got to take your other form to your doctor and have the doctor complete the insurance company's form saying you're totally disabled. And, you know, this is the reason why you're disabled. And they fill off, fill out these, uh, these boxes. And that is part of the documentation that you submit to the insurance company. The thing is with the forms though, John, is that it doesn't always give a complete or full picture. The, the forms are standard forms. All insurance companies typically use the same forms, but okay. it doesn't give the context. And it's important for the you know doctor and yourself to provide that context. For example, have you been on this path of, of struggling with your health and work for some months? There isn't a box for that, John. So if you don't volunteer that information in your documentation, the insurance adjuster isn't going to have that information available to them. So make sure that you're talking to your doctors about how important the documentation is. What is it that they're putting in their notes? You've been complaining of back pain for the last six months, but the last four visits, the doctor didn't write it down in his or her notes. No, that's not right. Right. So engaging your med medical team in a meaningful way and realizing or getting through to them how important the paperwork is, as much as doctors hate the paperwork, it is very, very important in a disability claim. And it's important to just continue to supply this information throughout your claim. Don't be complacent about it. Don't, don't just assume just because the adjuster didn't call you this month and didn't ask for a medical update that this means that your claim is going to continue being paid next month. That's not their job. Their job is to continue to assess. And so you want to make sure that if, if the insurance company isn't requesting this information from your own doctor, that you're facilitating, facilitating it and getting it over to the adjuster for further consideration. And then follow up, follow up on everything. Make sure you're keeping a paper trail. You know, I'm going on and on about all these different things that you can do, but it is important because if there's a disconnect between what you've communicated and what your doctors are saying about your ability to work or not work, and the insurance company is not accepting it or is ignoring it or is not taking it for full value, then that you're the one who's going to suffer at the end. Then it's going to form the basis of a cutoff of a claim. And then you're stuck in a situation that's difficult, that not only are you struggling with your health, but you're also having to battle the insurance company um, you know, with or without our help to try and get those benefits paid. Yeah, it's and, and just keep you know contemporaneous notes on your own, especially when talking to that insurance adjuster too, right? So you can you know you can send it off, and if they reply, fine. If not, it doesn't matter. You have it in your archives, right? Absolutely. Oh. And the email is so important too. I think that there's a tendency for adjusters to call, make a phone call, and they will keep a memo on file with what they believed was communicated to you in that phone call. Um, but it's one-sided. Again, it's it's just one version of what is the actual. And so you want to keep your own version of what was discussed, especially if critical information was given to you mm -hmm. that maybe you didn't understand, for example, or you weren't really sure what the next steps were that you were supposed to take, or maybe the insurance company was supposed to take. 
it is important to have that all documented, not only because then you can refer back and say, oh, by the way, adjuster, this is what we agreed, right? Last month, I was going to get you this or you were going to get that. And then my benefit was going to be paid another month or two or three. Um, but it also allows you to create that paper trail so that if there is a dispute down the road, and I'm not saying there's going to be in every case, John, but of course, the ones that I see are the ones that have gone south, right? And so naturally, my inclination, not only as a good lawyer, but also as a sympathetic one to my clients, if there's a disconnect between what was said and done, then I want to know what my client's version of that was. And the best way to do that is to have them send the emails that they exchanged with the adjuster or the notes that they took during their phone calls that they had, because I can line those up. I look at the claims file. I see what was documented by the insurance company. And I line that up with what my client attests occurred and what was said and done. And it forms the basis of the legal claim. And you can, even you mentioned a phone call, they're going to take notes. Just, yeah, say, you know, just give me a sec, guy, just grab, grab a pen and paper. And uh, I just want to, you know, jot down some things as we speak. Don't feel that you can't do that. You should be doing that, right? Even if it's a phone call where it's not on email. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, and I say that a lot. The word absolutely, but it's true because it yeah. is an absolute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, the alternative is that it goes into the ether of not knowing. And a lot of individuals are not going to get a lot of transparency around what is being documented by the adjuster on behalf of the insurance company, right? You don't see that as a claimant. All you see is these occasional touch points with your adjuster. You don't know what's being put in that file. Not until it gets to a point where someone like me will request it, review it, and come through it and say, okay, this is what occurred. This is what was happening in the background. They may have had a conversation with you, and then they went to talk to their manager about, look, how do I get this person off claim in the next two months? And here's the plan, right? And and Mm -hmm. a plan is put in place without you knowing. So yes, if you can arm yourself with documentation and that paper trail on your end, it's that much better if things do go to the place where they often do, which is that your claim gets cut off improperly, unfairly, or prematurely, and we can use that information to arm ourselves to fight the insurance company for benefits. Short break and back to another email with our last few minutes of the show. You can send one along, help at disabilityrights.ca or call Tamar and her team anytime, 1-855-821-5900. We continue more disability law shows coming up. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Welcome back, Disability Law Show. few minutes to go. Love all the correspondence. Appreciate you taking the time to uh, grab your, your phone or your keyboard and send along all your emails and uh, keep doing that. We do it every week. We'd like to hear from as many people as possible. You want to carry on through a, uh, a phone call with Tamar and her team, always invited to do so. No pressure, no charge. Just have a conversation, right? one 855 821 is how you do that. Darla, thank you so much, as mentioned, for taking the time. We'll get to your email now. Says, hello, Tamar. I'm 51 and I've worked most of my life as a pharmacy assistant. I'm on my feet a lot and the job is really fast paced, dealing with lots of customers. Unfortunately, my health forced me to stop working about 18 months ago. I have a compression fracture in my back that is causing me pain and a lot of instability. I've had several falls and sprains and my doctors are still trying to figure out what's wrong. The insurance company accepted my short-term claim but denied my long-term claim from the start. They're saying I could do another job. Does this make sense? I've appealed three times now, and I keep getting a big fat no from the insurance company. Is this when I should be hiring a lawyer? 
Darla, you should have hired us three appeals ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was just going to say that 100% before the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's tough because, you know, these appeals, it's, it's a process that's created by the insurance companies, John. They're just waiting you out. They're hoping you're going to be so fed up. You're just going to give up and you're going to leave money on the table. Why? Don't do it. It's it's not the appeal process is not in your policy. I can tell you that, Darla. Mm-hmm. It's nowhere to be found. It's just something that's that's created by the insurance companies. I think to satisfy their regulars. I'm not even really sure. But at the end of the day, you're kept into their process, right? So they'll say, okay, we're saying no, but here's how you can appeal and you can provide some additional medical, and we'll look at it. And by the way, do this in 30 days, or else your claim is closed. And then you think, okay, my claim is closed, so I better do this in a month. And you know, no, none of it's nonsense. All of it. There's, it's the deadlines are arbitrary. The appeal process is arbitrary because most of the time, it's the same adjuster looking at the appeal, John. They're looking at the same information, and they've already determined that you don't meet the test of total disability. It is very difficult to move that needle by continuing to be in that process with them while still struggling with your health and focusing on your health and getting the treatment that you need and all of that. Please, Darla, make it our problem. I'm happy to make it my problem because with a legal claim, it's efficient. John, they have to respond. They have to appoint a lawyer. It takes it out of the adjuster's hands. You know, they know us. We know them. We will sit down and have a very meaningful conversation around whether or not Darla's LTD benefits should have been paid. And it sounds like it should have. She was she was declined right from the start. It wasn't even a cutoff. She was approved short term, she tells us, and then never approved for long term. So let's talk about this carefully. Because it can be that you have to apply separately for short-term and long-term. I say this a lot on the show. Be careful. Just because it's the same insurance company doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have to submit additional forms. Mm -hmm. So number one, make sure that you've done that step. Because doing the LTD application forms, in addition to short-term, by the way, achieves two goals. Number one, it protects your right to it. So if in like Darla's situation, she doesn't get approved, she can always use the application to say, well, I notified you insurance company, this is a valid claim. We, it will avoid the insurance company coming back and saying, you never applied, so you don't get it. Okay. It's a technicality, but I can tell you there's one or two insurers who like to make those arguments, even in the context of a legal claim, check off that box, just apply, complete the forms. Because the second reason why it's so, so important is that it creates a further medical support that you're totally disabled. It will require you to have your doctor complete another medical certificate. So it's a bit of a no-brainer if you ask me that if you're transitioning from short-term to long-term and the insurance company or your HR is saying, I think you need to apply again, apply again. Don't delay. Do that step. I think it's really, really valuable. But I think in Darla's situation, what may be happening is, John, that she could be dealing with the any occupation test right from the start of her claim. It's rare, but it can happen. So let's explain this to our our listeners. Mm -hmm. Usually, most disability policies are set up to say, if you're totally disabled from doing the job that you were doing at the time that you got sick, then you can apply and be approved for long-term disability benefits if you have the support of your, your medical team. And that test is typically the same for short-term benefits and the first two years of long-term disability benefits. So it can be somewhat seamless if your health conditions are continuing that you will 
naturally be transitioned from short-term to long-term, theoretically, in theory. But that's not what's happened with Darla. So my suspicion is, John, is that perhaps her employer has a fairly, I would say, cheap policy or a low-end policy where it's an any occupation test from the start. It's a much tougher test to meet, John, because it means that Darla has to demonstrate that not that she's not capable of doing her own job by virtue of her health, but any job. And again, any job that would pay her roughly two-thirds of what she was making before. So it's no longer can we put her back to the same, I think she said she's a pharmacy assistant position. Those tolerances of a pharmacy assistant position is not going to be what the insurance company is going to be looking at as their lens of, do you meet the test to qualify for disability benefits in Darla's situation? So what's the, the solution here? Well, after three appeals, the solution is a legal claim, Darla, no doubt. And what I would do, my first step, other than getting the claims file and issuing the claim, is then to communicate with her own doctors, John, directly. And we do that sometimes in certain instances where the doctor may not necessarily appreciate the technical elements of the disability application. And in this case, she really needs some commentary from the doctor saying, yeah, she can't do her pharmacy position and she can't do any other position either. She's got a, this compression fracture. She's on the path of recovery or treatment. We're still assessing her perhaps. This could be several months down the road before she's capable of doing anything at all. And so that's the profile. That's what I expect is happening in Darla's situation here. You know what? I think we'll, uh, we're pretty much ready to uh, wrap it up unless you got any final comments you want to make tomorrow about uh, what we've talked about on the show today. But uh, barring that, you've got lots of time, any time to, uh, to reach out to tomorrow and have that conversation. She's got a great team behind her. And uh, to do so, one 821 5900 Again, one 821 5900 We often go to uh, mydisabilityquestions.com, free anonymous forum for you to ask your questions. It's a searchable website as well, so your question may have been asked previously. Use it, no problem, mydisabilityquestions.com, ltdfaq.ca. And then finally, the email we always go to, help at disabilityrights.ca. And we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a page- commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 toronto